You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. James chapter 1. James, a bondservant, really slave, that word doulos, slave. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flower and grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. May God bless the reading of his word. This entire section is dealing with trials. And we see from verse 2 that trials are inevitable. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, but when you encounter trials. Trials are inevitable. They are a part of life. They are part of living in this fallen world. And notice that he says, When you encounter various trials, Trials come in all shapes and sizes, all different kinds of, uh, all different forms, all different types. There are internal trials, trials that uh, struggles within ourselves that other people probably don't see. There are internal trials. There are more external trials, things like our health, uh, financial trials, uh, maybe hard persecution for some of our brothers and sisters around the world. So there are external trials. And sometimes the external trials become what? internal trials. So all different kinds of trials. And notice too that James says consider it all joy. Count it all joy. James does not say enjoy them. He says count them as joy. And dear ones, please do not fall into the trap of believing that if you are going through some trial right now, some acute trial that is hard and you're struggling with it, please don't fall into the trap that there is something, that you are, are lacking something in a spiritual sense because you're not enjoying the trials. Don't think that James says you are to enjoy the trials. We are not to enjoy trials. Trials are not to be enjoyed. That's why they're called trials. They're not fun, but they are part of life. So he doesn't say enjoy it. Don't think that there's something wrong with you spiritually if you're not enjoying the trial in which you may find yourself this morning. Not supposed to enjoy. Supposed to count them as joy. It's a it's an accounting term. It's a banking term. 
count it as joy, knowing that through the trial, God will sustain you, and there will be joy on the other end. And count it as joy. James tells us that we are to pray for wisdom. And as I said when I dealt with this text, this is not an automatic, just Lord give me wisdom and he's going to download it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. So if you are reading and studying and obeying God's word, by all means, pray for wisdom. If you are not reading, studying, and obeying God's word, don't bother. Praying for wisdom. He's not going to give it to you. This comes in conjunction with studying His Word as the Holy Spirit illumines the meaning of God's Word to our hearts and to our minds. So trials are a part of life. Now let's let's focus now on verse 12. And we'll read this again. Blessed is the man who perseveres under the trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I want to give you the setting. Have this in your mind. Put yourself in the shoes of one of the original recipients of this letter. Remember to whom he was writing it. We see in verse 1, he says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, slave of God, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Why were these people dispersed? They were dispersed because of the persecution that King Agrippa was inflicting upon Christians. Uh, this persecution began in the year 44 AD. And because of this severe persecution, many of the Christians scattered and went abroad. So that's to whom he is writing. He is writing to these believers spread out in different places, dispersed abroad because of the persecution from King Agrippa in AD 44. James is the first book in the New Testament, not in order in your New Testaments, which you're holding in your lap, but chronologically, James was the first book in the New Testament that was written. So put yourself in the shoes of one of these individuals. They're being persecuted. They had to flee their home. They're being persecuted, and they had no New Testament yet. They don't have the book of Romans that they can go to and read and understand about the justification of God and His righteousness and holiness. They don't, they don't have any of the pastoral epistles. They don't have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They don't have uh, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. They don't have 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd. They don't have these things. So they're scattered abroad because of persecution. They have each other. They have the fellowship of the saints. They have apostolic teaching that has been delivered to them orally, but they don't have anything written. And then all of a sudden, here comes this letter written from no one less than the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself, James. And of course, we call James the half-brother of Christ because Christ was born a virgin. But James was born to Mary and Joseph old-fashioned. And so, put yourself, how refreshing this must have been. Can you imagine being in this situation with no New Testament, persecution, and here comes this letter from the half brother of Jesus Christ. And this letter would have been like would have been like cold water to a man dying of thirst in the desert. And this was a great encouragement to him. And verse twelve is the capstone 
of his section dealing with trials. And in verse 12, he ends his section on trials with a great word of encouragement to these brothers and to these sisters. James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. This is a great encouragement to his readers. Now, what he is doing, he is encouraging them. Don't fall away. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged because of the persecution. Remain faithful. If you remain faithful through these trials, you will be blessed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. It's much the same thing that the writer of Hebrews was doing in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. He says, do not throw away your confidence for it has a great reward. The writer of Hebrews was encouraging his readers. James is encouraging his readers here. Now, let's look at this word blessed. What, this word blessed. Now, commentators differ on this a little bit. And depending on what translation you have, it may say happy. Some commentators believe that that is the right way to render this word, is happy. Others believe it is blessed. Uh, I argue for the latter, blessed. Happy is just too weak of a word. Now, it, it, it is a legitimate rendering of the word in and of itself, but here it just doesn't fit. Uh, happy's too weak. You know, lots of things can make us happy. Fried chicken makes me happy. <laughs> Fried catfish makes me happy. Fried okra makes me happy. Just about anything fried makes me happy. <laughs> but it doesn't bring me joy. It doesn't bring me joy. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness kind of ebbs and wanes depending on our circumstances, depending on our emotions, but it's fleeting, right? Joy is something different. Joy is long-lasting. Joy endures. This, this word makarios is blessed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. It's the same word that Jesus uses as he opens the Beatitudes in Matthew, recorded in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed all of these people. Beatitudes of the Blessed are the portrait. Blessed are the pulpit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the gentle. This is, a, this is something far more than just a fleeting happiness. This is an enduring joy. And, and Jesus ends his Beatitudes in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 5. And he says, he says, be filled with joy. He says, rejoice. Literally, that word means to, to, to have joy. It is, a, it is an imperative. It is a command. Have joy. If you are these things, you have joy. You have reason to rejoice. And joy is much deeper. It is much more profound than just a fleeting emotion of happiness. Joy is something that we cannot gin up on our own. Joy is something that comes from God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. This comes from the Holy Spirit of God. It's not something that we do on our own. Fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Joy is something that is unique to the believer. Lost people don't have joy. Not true joy. This is something that a lost person cannot know, cannot experience. A lost person can have happiness, but he cannot have joy. Joy comes only from God. The women at the tomb, remember when they saw the empty tomb, they were filled with what? With joy. Paul was filled with 
joy when he heard that the Corinthians finally repented. Remember that? He just burst forth in an effusion of, of joy when he heard that the Corinthians finally repented of their sins. He was joyful. Heaven rejoices when a sinner comes to repentance. Joy is something that comes from God. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. God fills us with the joy of His presence. Joy is from above. It is not something that we can gin up on our own. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. He can be joyful. Now, who is blessed? Not just anyone who suffers a trial, because Christians and non-Christians go through trials, don't they? Believers and unbelievers go through trials. So it's not just someone who goes through a trial, but someone who perseveres under the trial. The one who perseveres in these trials, the one who endures, he is the one who is blessed. Because the one who is endured, who is endowed with joy from the Holy Spirit of God, he is the one who is blessed. This comes only from God. He is the one who is joyful. He is the one who is blessed. The one who perseveres. Now I want to look at this word, perseveres. Blessed is the man who perseveres. Now the, the Greek word, I break this down for you because it's, it's once you see this concept, it's really going to help you, I think. The Greek word is hupomeno. Hupomeno. Uh, to persevere, to endure. Hupa means underneath. And we understand this, right? When we think of a, a needle. Glad that went off. A needle, a hypodermic needle, right? Goes underneath the skin. Hupa. And meno means to remain. To remain under. Dear friends, God does not promise to remove our trials. He promises to give us strength through the trials. He promises to give us strength to remain underneath the trial. Hupa mino. To remain underneath it. The perseverance of the saints. One who perseveres under these trials. Now, there has been much theological mischief done over the phrase, once saved, always saved, perseverance of the saints. Uh, there are some who claim to believe the gospel, claim to believe the word of God, and yet they believe that you can somehow lose your salvation. Dear friends, that is a very dangerous doctrine, and it takes you to some very dangerous places. If we could lose our salvation, then you have gutted the meaning of the gospel, and you have gutted who God is. You have denied the gospel to teach that one can lose his salvation. Salvation is given by God and it is not something that we can lose. If you have your Bibles, look in John chapter 10 real quickly. This biblical truth of perseverance, very, very important. John chapter 10 verse 27 through 30, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And please, let's stop taking that out of context. My sheep hear my voice. That is not God telling you in some still small voice where to go to college or what job to take or where to have lunch at day. This is dealing with salvation. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. We are in the hands of Christ, dear ones. And he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in his hand and he is holding you 
and no one will snatch you from his hand. But as if that was not enough, look at what he says next. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. If you are in Christ, you are in the hand of the Savior. He holds you in his hand. And then he wraps, as it were, the father's hand around that of his own. And ain't no one getting through that. And you're not going to jump out. No one is greater than the Father. And that no one includes you and includes me. Salvation is a gift. And what God gives, he does not take back. Perseverance of the saints. This is one of the hallmarks of a genuine believer. That through the trials, he perseveres. He who come and knows, he remains underneath the trial and he remains faithful to Christ. He perseveres. What did John say in 1 John chapter 2? He says, they went out from us. Why? Because they were never us. They made an emotional overture to the gospel. Maybe they heard some song at some youth camp and they, they got all teary-eyed and cried and slobbered all over one another, made some emotional overture, but made some initial steps towards something that they thought sounded sort of like the gospel but they went out from us because they were not us. An emotional overture, but not true surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not in union with the Lord Jesus. Those who fall away from the faith, who apostatize, walk away from Christ, after having claimed to have been a Christian, they prove that they were never a Christian in the first place. They went out from us because they were never us. Dear friends, we do not persevere in order to keep salvation. We persevere because we are saved. We do not persevere to earn salvation. We persevere because of salvation, because God has granted that to us. Perseverance to the end is one of the defining hallmarks of a genuine believer. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end shall be saved. And it's the same word. The one who endures, who pomino, who remains underneath the trial shall be saved. Why? Why does God do this? Why does God allow us to go through trials? For our sanctification, for our conformation into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, but ultimately to glorify God. Ultimately to glorify God. The reason we go through trials ultimately is for God's glory. All of us Undoubtedly, know of people who have gone through some trial and we have admired about how they have handled themselves through this trial. And what does that do? It glorifies God. Several years ago, I met a man named Rich in Long Island, New York. Rich was born able-bodied. Nothing wrong with Rich at all. Rich was saved when he was about 19 years old. And then just a few years later, in his early 20s, Rich was in a motorcycle accident and it left him completely paralyzed, quadriplegic, no use of his legs at all. Very, very, kind of like Joni Erickson Tata type, quadriplegic. Rich uh, lived with his brother and his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, neither of whom were believers, but Rich was. And every Sunday morning, Rich would ask his brother and sister-in-law to get him up out of bed. And they'd get him up out of bed, they would bathe him, they would dress him, 
and they put him in his electric wheelchair. And Rich would drive his electric wheelchair five miles one way to church. Even when it was raining, they would put a poncho over him and he would drive his electric wheelchair five miles one way to church in the rain. The only thing that kept Rich from going to church was if it was snowing. And his wheelchair just wouldn't go in the snow. But other than that, he was there. The pastor of this church told me, he said, Justin Rich is the most faithful church member I've got. He had bumper stickers on the back of his wheelchair with scripture verses on them. And he was just a joy to be around. How many people, week in, week out, year after year after year, saw Rich every Sunday morning driving his electric wheelchair to church with scripture on the back of it and a smile on his face. God is glorified in that. Shortly before he died, and from what the pastor told me, Rich didn't even know he was about to die. But Rich asked the pastor to come and record a video of him talking. And so the pastor came over with his little video camera and recorded Rich. And Rich addressed his brother and his sister-in-law, neither of them were believers. And he said, if you're watching this, you're at my funeral. And he gave them the gospel. He gave the gospel. And they played that video not long after that at his funeral. And his brother and sister-in-law, who were nice people, but lost. And they cared for him, but they were lost. And they were sitting there in that church, looking up on the screen, and Rich was preaching, to, preaching the gospel to them while he was in heaven. Whenever you go through a trial, know that ultimately it is for the glory of God. How we carry ourselves in trials says much about the Savior whom we profess to know. All of the apostles, all of the disciples had severe trials. Look in John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, to Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you, referring to binding his hands. You'll stretch out your hands, someone else will gird you, and they'll bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would do what? Glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus would have flunked church growth evangelism. Go to any church growth evangelism class in any seminary today, Jesus would have flunked it. You talk about the most secret, insensitive invitation you could possibly give. Peter, when you were young, you used to go wherever you go, wanted to go. When you're older, someone else is going to take you to someplace where you're not going to want to go. And what that meant? We believe that Peter was crucified upside down because of his faith in Christ. And Peter, Jesus said this to Peter, knowing that Peter would understand. He was saying this to Peter to tell him, 
One day you're going to die for me. Following me is going to cost you your life. Let's go. The most secret, insensitive invitation that could probably possibly ever be given. Why did Peter go? Because he belonged to the Lord. And he endured his trials for the glory of God. And he went to his death for the glory of God. How many millions of people, millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ, down through the centuries for the last 2,000 years, have gone to their death for the glory of God? Stephen, Justin Martyr, William Tyndale, John Huss, on and on and on, millions and millions and millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ have gone to their death for their faith, for their fidelity to the gospel. And sometimes as I read these accounts, I read about what happened to Tyndale and Huss and all of these other men. Sometimes, and I don't know about you, I'm sure you do the same thing, I find myself asking asking this question to myself, would I do that? Would I, would I remain faithful to Christ if a gun was to my head or if a knife was to my throat? Or if I was being tied to a stake about to be lit on fire, would I remain faithful to Christ or would I deny him? I'll be honest with you. I don't have any confidence in my flesh. But I believe that when it comes to things like that, when, when God's children are put in those positions, that he gives them a special endowment of grace to endure it, to remain faithful, and to glorify God in their deaths. And if our brothers and sisters in Christ can glorify God in their deaths, we must glorify God in our trials. Once he has been approved, said James, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved. What is this approval? This approval is testing. Testing, and trials are just that, right? They're, they're tests. That's what they are. They're tests of our faith. Just like God tested Abraham in the past, God tested Israel and they failed. Trials are tests of our faith. Now, sometimes trials reserve, result in temporal blessings. When we remain faithful to Christ, sometimes God will bless us with a, a blessing. Sometimes that we can see, sometimes it's obvious to us, but a lot of times he doesn't. What James has in mind here are not temporal blessings but eternal blessings. He says, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. This is what James has in mind. The crown of life, not temporal blessings, eternal blessings. That's his perspective. So what is this crown of life? What is the blessing of this crown of life? Well, the crown here, when we think of crown, we think of something that's gold and encrusted with jewels that you put on the head of a king. That's not what James recipients would have had in mind. That would not have been familiar to them. What they would have immediately thought of, and what James has in view here, not a golden crown encrusted with jewels, but a wreath. A wreath that was laid on the head of one who was in a race, and ran a race, won the race, and they were given a, a wreath to put on their head. That's what they would have had in mind, the crown. Perishable wreath, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because Paul picks up on this imagery of running a race and having a wreath. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 
verse 25, but that's a perishable wreath. But Paul says, but we, an imperishable, this crown of life is an imperishable wreath. It is an imperishable blessing. It is an imperishable reward. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The crown of glory, the crown of life. Literally, it says this in the Greek in James. You will receive the crown which is life. What is the crown? The crown is life. The crown which is life. And what is life? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our reward. Eternal life with him. He is the reward. That is the crown of life. So many people, when I hear them speak of heaven, I hear them speak of heaven in such earthly terms. And I remember when I was younger, when I was a teenager, when I was a, a young man, that's, that's how I thought of heaven. You know, I, I wanted to go to heaven because I wanted to be able to walk. I didn't want to have my crutches anymore. And I can remember uh, my mom told, tells me that I used to say to her as a kid, Mom, when we get to heaven, will you go on a long walk with me? That's what I wanted. I wanted to walk. I wanted to run. I wanted to, wanted to be rid of my crutches. And, but that's not the right view of heaven. In fact, that was a good indication that I wasn't regenerate, which at the time I wasn't. Because that's an improper perspective of heaven. And so many people talk about heaven as it being this big family reunion. Oh, I want to go to heaven because I want to see my mom and my dad. I want to go to heaven because I want to see grandma and grandpa. I want to go to heaven because I want to see my son. I want to see my daughter. And do we have these desires? Sure we do. Sure we do. And we will be reunited with our loved ones provided, of course, that they were in Christ when they preceded us in death. But dear friends, that is not the joy of heaven. The joy of heaven, heaven is not a family reunion. Heaven is not about walking on streets of gold. Heaven is not about having your own mansion. That's not even the right translation of that word. It's not about that. And if you want to get a pretty good idea of where someone really is in their relationship with the Lord Jesus, ask them this, what is it about heaven that you look forward to? And most people are going to say these things to see my loved ones, to be in my own mansion, walk on streets of gold. If you were to take all of that away, take away your family, take away mom and dad, take away grandpa, and I don't mean to make light of this. There may be some people here who have lost children, but take away even the reunion with your own children. If you were to take all of that away, take away the streets of gold, take away your, your mansion, all that stuff, which that's not even the right translation, take away all that stuff. If you were left with nothing but Christ, if heaven was just Christ, would you be disappointed? Or is he enough? And if you would be disappointed that heaven is just him, 
then I would submit to you that your view of him was far too small. I would submit to you that your view of Christ is far too small. He is the joy and the glory of heaven. He is who makes heaven, heaven. When we get to heaven, we're not going to spend much time thinking about how no, we no longer have our crutches and our arthritis and our glasses and all this stuff. Dear ones, we will be in the presence of Christ. We will be in the presence of the one who spoke the universe into existence. We will be in the presence of the one who laid down his life for us. The spotless lamb of God who endured God's wrath for us. And we will bask in his glory for all of eternity. He is the joy and the glory of heaven. He is the crown of life because he is life. He is our reward. He is our reward. Is he enough? Is he enough? And notice too that James says that this crown of life will be earned. No. This crown of life will be received. It's not something we earn. We can't earn it. Salvation is not a reward of works. Our works are as filthy rags before a holy God. We are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation, dear ones, is our sin. That's it. Salvation is a, is a gift. And it must be received. It is not earned. It is received. Salvation is not of works. In this crown of life, Jesus is promised to those who do what? Who love him. To those who love Christ. It is not promised to someone who simply prays a prayer. It is not promised to someone who walks the aisle. It is not promised to someone who just gets baptized. It is not promised to someone who's a member of a church. It is promised to those who love him, who love Jesus. Now, I want to say something about love because all too often we misunderstand love and we think that love is about feelings, how we feel towards someone. And our, our, we base our love upon our feelings. Biblical love, dear ones, is not just about feelings. Biblical love is about obedience. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, John says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus says this, He who has my commandments and does what? Keeps them. Obeys them. He who has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. He it is who loves me. The only objective measure that we have of our love for Christ is our obedience to Christ. That's the only objective measure we have. Not our feelings, not our emotions, our obedience. If you love Christ, you will obey Him. And you know what? It's easy to obey Christ on the, in the small things. It's easy to do the small things. It's harder to do the hard things. When obedience to Christ costs us, then we'll see how much we love Him. When our fidelity to Christ 
risks alienation between ourselves and our family members, then we'll see how much we love him. He who has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them, he it is who loves me. Now, I am not preaching some cold orthodoxy here. And I am not against feelings, okay? I'm not against emotions. In fact, I'll say this. I would be scared of a man who has good doctrine and who studies this book and whose emotions are not affected by this book, whose emotions are not affected by the glories of who Christ is. I'd be scared of that guy. And someone who, who studies this book and has good doctrine and yet their, their emotions are not stirred, how can you study the holiness of God and the majesty of God and the mercy of God and his, the long-suffering of God and, and, and the magnitude of what Christ did for us on the cross when he bore God's wrath in our stead? How can your emotions not be stirred? How can your feelings not be stirred? So I'm not preaching some cold orthodoxy here, but I'm saying... Don't evaluate your love for God just by your feelings and emotions. Because we can have feelings and emotions for a lot of things that, that, are, that don't have anything at all to do with God. Do you obey Him? Do you obey Him? That is the objective measure of our love for God. And notice this crown of life, Jesus, eternal life, is promised to those who love Him. Promised. Absolute certainty. I love Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also, what? Glorified. Glorified. Now, my glorification has not yet taken place. Your glorification has not yet taken place. Glorification comes when we die in Christ and we go to be with him for all eternity and we are given our new bodies and we have all of eternity with Christ, that's our glorification. So how is it that Paul can talk about our glorification in the past tense when glorification has not happened for any of us yet? None of us have been glorified. But that is how certain our glorification is. It has been promised to those who love him. And Paul can speak of our glorification in the past tense because it is as good as done. It is the most certain thing ever. It, it, it is a certainty. I am more certain through the merits of Jesus Christ that one day I will be glorified. I am more certain about that than I am that the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning. It is that certain. And I can be certain of that. Not because of who I am. Not because of my own efforts. No, I can be certain of that because of the merits of Jesus Christ. And I can be certain of that because He is the one who sustains me. He is the one who sustains you, brother. Who sustains you, sister. And our glorification is that certain. It is promised. We don't have to wonder about it. Biblical hope is a sure hope. It's an expected hope. It will happen. And as I conclude... Dear ones, I'll conclude with this. As James concludes his section on trials, trials are inevitable. They are a test of our faith. We are not to enjoy them, but we are to count them as joy. And the one who, who pominos, the one who remains under the trials, God will reward with the crown of life.
our salvation is certain. It is not wrong to pray for the removal of trials. And a lot of people will do this. And I want to tell you, dear ones, if you're going through a trial right now, I'm not telling you that it's wrong to pray for the removal of it. Paul prayed for the removal of his trial in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember? The thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan that was given him to buffet him. Keep him from exalting myself. Paul says, concerning this, I entreated the Lord. I asked the Lord three times that it might be removed from me. And Jesus said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not a sin to pray for the removal of trials. But maybe sometimes more often than we pray for our trials to be removed, we, would, we should pray that God would give us the strength to hakam and up, to remain faithful through the trial. I remember growing up in Baptist church, every Wednesday night we have prayer meeting and prayer request every Wednesday night. When you go to any church and prayer requests are asked for or the Sunday school class or whatever, what are 99 out of 100 of the prayer requests for? Someone's sick. Someone's in the hospital. Someone's having surgery. And I don't mean to make light of that. It's not, it's not wrong to pray for someone to be healed. And it's not necessarily wrong to pray for a trial to be removed. But maybe instead of spending almost all of our time praying for the removal of trials, maybe we should spend more time praying, God, sustain me through this trial. God, conform me into the image of Christ through this trial. God, may I carry your name well. And through this trial, glorify you. Maybe we should spend more time praying for things like that. That we would pop it up. That we would remain faithful through the trial. Through the trial. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 as Jim read for us this morning. Jesus speaking to the saints of the church in Smyrna. He says this, Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. The crown which is life. Let's close the word. Father, we thank you for the riches of your word. How it encourages us as we see these recipients of this first book that was ever written in the New Testament. As James encourages his readers to know that through their trials, through their persecutions, they are blessed. That they must endure. And that they are promised the crown which is life. We are not promised deliverance from our trials in a temporal way. We are promised Christ. And Lord, may He be our reward. May, may He be who is first and foremost in our minds as we seek to live out the Christian life. And it's not easy. Trials are not a joy. But Lord, may we remember who it is to whom we belong. And who it is that we are representing to a watching world. Give us your sufficient grace to to and know to remain underneath the trials and glorify you. These things we ask and pray in Christ.
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.